will use that faith, Lord, to serve you. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, 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 amen. So we are back at our post. Not that we were outside our post before this. Through the day and through the night, we need to be at our post. But the days are evil. And the enemy has come with great wrath because he knows his time is very little. But God's people shall prevail. We are learning from Nehemiah. We saw, we've seen how God's, God's leaders are, are framed. And Nehemiah is one of those leaders. And, uh, if you, if we, we're not going there, of course. If you look at, uh, the, read the book of Hebrews and, uh, you will see the eight things that Moses did. Eight decisions he made, steps he took that made him the greatest leader before Christ. Those are decisions, these are steps God's people do. And that's, you see that reflected in Nehemiah too. And Nehemiah is uh, an incredible man of God. Uh, I think, Sammy, that's a little too loud for me, but it's okay. Mark and here, we are fine. Okay. So you will see Nehemiah there too, if you had, if he had seen in chapter 4 and verse 23. Neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the God who followed me took off our clothes except that everyone took them off for washing. Okay, you will see that he lived with them, he lived among them, and he not only left his high office to come, he also denied pleasure. He chose to be in the trenches with his men. Okay? And he was there day and night with them. So we will see because why I say that is because in chapter 5, we saw yesterday, there is a situation within the city, right? And uh, the thing is that the walls are going up, but the homes are down. So the question is, what are we building the walls for? Okay, there's something called the house, and there is something called the home, okay? Every house is not a home. Every house, every church is supposed to be a home. It's the family of God. So every church is not a home. They have services, but there is no serving there. Okay, I'm picking my words carefully. There is service there. Services go on there regularly. Five services, six services, because the crowds are huge, but there is no real serving there. They're called houses of worship. But it is not a home where God can call, this is my home and these are, it's my family. Okay, so there are houses. Okay, you can rent an apartment. It doesn't matter. It's not your house, but it can be your home. Okay, you can have a 10 bedroom bungalow and it may be not a house and you may have a single room 
where a family stays, which can be a home. Okay, and a home is different from a house, though every home should be in a house. That's what's happening in chapter 5. The walls are going up, the gates are going to be hung, work is going on day and night. But actually, if you listen to the outcry, you knew that there was so much grief and sorrow and misery because of exploitation. Brother upon brother, Jews upon Jews were exploited. They're breaking the law blatantly. They were looking always, even in the midst of tragedy and trauma, they are looking for opportunity to fleece the poor. Okay, and you will see in every tragedy, people do that. If there is a hurricane or there is a cyclone, this thing, immediately there will be once, I'm not most of it, a lot of people are very kind. One set of people who will immediately see this is an opportunity to make up money. Price of essential items will go up. Why does the government have to say we will raid your godowns if you do that? Even during the pandemic, you know they were hiding oxygen cylinders, selling it up at a high rate, you know. Every pandemic, every crisis is for one set of people. They're racketeers. They profit. They profit. And that's where we need to look at. And that's, and because he's, he's a man who is left and come, and not only left and come, He's living with them and day and night in the trenches. When there is an outcry, he has the ability to stand up and speak. A lot of people will not be able to speak. A lot of people will not be able. And then we use um, very nice sounds, sound bites. Very nice. I've heard all this big time preachers saying, I don't want to come down to your level of poverty. I want to raise you up to my level of prosperity. It sounds good. Sounds good. I mean, it sounds really, really good. I mean, honestly, it sounds very good. But the fact of the matter is, you don't have the guts to stand before the people and say, you know what, I feel your pain. I feel your pain. And I hear your outcry. And I'm angry. And I'm angry. Okay. And he was angry. When we see the outrage, the, 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 like yesterday, the news that was coming in, not on news, that what was happening in our churches, not here, other churches. There should be a rage. Okay. In our rage, we go to, go to our prayer closet. We went before God. Okay. And we do what we can do. Like till this morning, till even now, sitting here, it was like busy. Things are happening everywhere. There's death and, devastation because the enemy is mad. But we don't buckle under pressure. We need to understand. We don't buckle under pressure. If we buckle under pressure, the enemy knows that this this is the whole thing. God is God is putting people through because one day everyone who's hearing will have to become a leader of their own. On their own. Okay, like last Saturday we had questions about leadership roles for the women. Okay, now it's basically connected only with teaching ministry, teaching ministry. Okay, it's basically connected. But some of our ministries around the world are being, being led by strong women, young women, strong women. They don't buckle under pressure. You know why? Because they have come through it. They have gone through, they have gone through the valley of shadow of death. Seeing their siblings being killed, seeing their parents being killed for their faith. And the only one left was a girl or a woman somewhere. And you know what? They took the upon their shoulders. They became like Deborah. 
I, Deborah, a mother arose. They arose. Okay, so we are talking about leadership which doesn't buckle under pressure. And we have to understand from scripture because the reason is, why are we studying these things? People will say, how does it apply to me? God will say, it will. And day and hour will come, we will realize, I need these things. And I need to go through this process of becoming what God wants us to be. And we saw in Isaiah 59, uh, 14, right? What is the cause? What is the reason? What is, I mean, what is the reason for all the injustice that happens? What is the way back to righteousness? It's the same. Justice is turned back. That's what we see around the world. There's no justice. And there's no righteousness. There's a cry going out day and night. Lord, justice, Lord. When, Lord? When, Lord? Maranatha, come, Lord. And God says, the day I come is called the day of judgment. Justice will flow. Righteousness will be established. There is no equity. All because in the street, the marketplace, the street, where living takes place, in the street, house, okay, we call the, the front room of a house, we call it the living room, okay, that's where the family lives, there truth has fallen, truth has fallen, truth has fallen, okay, there is a kitchen, there's a bedrooms, there are studies, and then there is the living room, living room is where the family spends most of their time together, truth has fallen there, or in the marketplace of ideas of schools and colleges and businesses and factories and governments, the street. What has happened? It has fallen in the street. When truth falls, everything stops. Truth falls. And the only way it can be restored is truth has to be restored. Truth has to come. That's why in John 1 and verse 17, the Bible says, for law was given through Moses. Law was just a shadow of the truth. Law was pointing to the truth. Law is not the truth in its wholeness. Law cannot hold the truth in its wholeness. For truths to be reflected. Why wasn't truth shown to us till Jesus came? Because it is impossible for any man to reflect truth. Because God is truth. So law only could come through man. Man on the Mount of Sinai received a shadow of what the truth is like. My shadow is not my reality. Okay? The substance is me. The shadow is a mere reflection. A real mere reflection. It's not even a reflection like you see in the mirror. The shadow is something, the reality, the substance casts upon the ground. The law was just a shadow of the truth. But when Jesus came, he did not come with the law. He came with truth. But the Bible says grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You know, though we preach about grace and we talk about the gospel of grace and we talk about the spirit of grace and we talk about the power of grace, that grace is the very power of God that created everything. You know why people are not interested in grace? Because people are not searching truth. The minute you encounter truth, you will realize without grace it is impossible to keep it impossible to keep it. You can keep the law because the law only touches your outside life. Truth touches your inside. It's easy to live with the law. That's why people who do not want to pursue truth are satisfied with the law. And the Pharisees were very happy with the law. But when Jesus came, they were first confused, 
confounded and confronted by truth. Confronted by truth. And this is the issue. Truth has fallen on the streets. Law is still working. <laughs> if law is not working, a house won't hold together. Law is working. In Jerusalem, law is working. We gave you money. And we agreed on a term, one person interest. Otherwise, I will take your child. So that is the law. Though they are breaking the law, they have made a law of themselves. See, you cannot break a law unless you change the law. That's why they're changing the laws in U.S. The law always has to be there to support your activities. So if your law says your activity is wrong, change the law. So your activity becomes right. But the problem is, it doesn't matter how many laws you keep on changing and who keeps changing it, whether it's the Congress or the Supreme Court, truth never changes. Truth never changes. That is the issue. You need to understand this. In Christian America, why does the left want to appropriate Christ? Just say, I'm not a Christian. That's all, right? But they cannot live with it. They cannot. They want to be called a Christian. You know why? Because you can change as many laws as you want. Deep inside, you're still miserable. The truth convicts you. Truth. This is, I was born gay. Then why are you so miserable? Now, you, everything has been given to you, right? Equality Act is also coming. Supreme Court has sanctioned. Everything has been sanctioned. Your parades have more freedom with police security than the, the parades of anybody. But are you still miserable? You know why? Because deep inside you know it's not true. It is not true. No? Why does religious people of any religion, including Christianity, have to go around silencing people? Anti-conversion laws. Every nation, anti-conversion, anti-conversion will not allow you. Whether it's a Christian nation like Russia or China or India, every, why are you trying to silence? Because there's something you're scared of. You know what you're scared of? The scared of is the truth. Because if you are absolutely sure that my religion is true, then you can say whatever you want. I will give you the complete liberty to preach you this thing. You know what? Nothing can happen to my religion because it is true. And that is only thing that Christianity allows. Genuine Christianity, especially the form which appeared in America, USA. That's why USA is important. Not Europe. Catholicism crushed dissent. The Anglican Church also tried to crush dissent. America was birthed with this idea of liberty. Therefore, you will have great statements by great statesmen who will say that I disagree with every word you speak, but I will die for the right for you to speak it. Okay, for the right to speak it. And that's what is happening now. They are trying to cancel it. Because once you are true, you are not worried about any other idea. You know this is truth. Why? Because it sets you free. You are not a slave inside. Every other thing, you know what, deep inside you realize you are a slave. You are a slave. When I got saved and years later I understood and grew and God convicted me and I got baptized... I went under the water, I came up. I got baptized only once. Baptized only once. I didn't have to go keep on baptizing. But baptism kind of a ritual is there in so many religions. But has, is it ever satisfied? 
No. They keep on going, dipping, coming out, dipping, coming. Why deep inside you know that is not changing? You know, if, let us say, the place of religion in Mecca, if going there sets you free, you need to go only once. But you keep on going, keep on stoning it, but the devil never dies. Okay. Catholic Christians also have all these pilgrimages and all this. But nothing seems to be changing inside. On the other hand, the minute you get born again, you know deep inside, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. The condemnation, the fear of the penalty of sin is immediately gone. After that, you're on the road to progress, on the road to liberty from different things as God's word is showing from inside. But you know you're a free man. The fear of death is gone. The final enemy has already been overcome. This is what truth does. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And grace is only given to people who need truth. If you don't need truth, then you need money. So there are grace preachers and money preachers. And there are people who have put two together and preach grace and ask for money. That, okay. that guy, of course, is in Singapore. Okay. So you will see how manipulative people are. Very manipulative people are. So we live in the age of grace. But great has no, grace has real grace. The power of the Holy Spirit has no meaning unless you are confronted with truth. When you are confronted with truth and you want to become that truth, where you become true. Okay, when you become that truth, that area of your life becomes true. That is why Jesus is called the true and faithful. That is only possible with the power of God. Okay, then I become a witness of something that is true. And Jesus said, when you receive power, you shall be my witnesses. That's what grace is for, to become a witness of Christ Jesus. So even when we say, judgment begins in the house of God. What is that judgment? What is that judgment about? What is that judgment for? Is to make us true. Because judgment is based on truth. You cannot have judgment without truth. Judgment is based on truth. Okay, based on truth. And sometimes we don't even know what the truth is. So we have been given two, actually three, the direct prince would say three parameters to measure. One, the word of God, because it is called the word of truth. Okay, thy word is truth. That is John seventeen seventeen. The second, he has given us a person, the spirit of God, who will convict us of truth. He's called the spirit of truth. Okay, and then there is the third one, which is the person of Christ. Okay, otherwise people will say it is written, but does the spirit show you or it is just from because I can pick up anything and say it is written and mend it or bend it to fit into my theory. Okay, or you can say the spirit told me, but you look in the word, it is not, it is not uh, there in the word. Okay, or you have the word and you say the spirit told me both agree, but when you look at the person, you realize, you know, what he says is also truth. It also seems like the spirit is telling him, but you know what, what he says and his spirit does not reflect the person of Jesus Christ. Doesn't reflect the person of Jesus Christ. Okay, there's a person of God, the person of God, and that is Jesus. 
He was the fullness of God who dwelt among men. He was a man who never bent the truth, but he walked in grace. How did he do that? And that's the third one that fits in. Okay, When it happens that we have the word of God, we have the spirit of God, and we are becoming, because he is recreating, confirming us to the image of Christ Jesus, we become a true person. We become a true person. So we saw there, the issue there in Jerusalem is usury. Right? Basically, profit and loss. Everybody is trying to look, what does it profit me? What does it profit me? And Jesus also uses the term, says, you gain the whole world and lose the soul. What does it profit you? <laughs> he also brings, you want to apply business principles? God says, let us look at business principles. You gain the whole by world. Yeah, Sammy, it's too loud for me. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, that's why I said that small one speaker, just put it there. Okay, that small one for this when I'm preaching. So that, you know, they can hear and it doesn't disturb me. This is good for worship. Um, what was I saying? I got Yeah, you gain the whole world. <laughs> and lose your soul. Because the whole world is built on gain. It's a canonite world. Okay. And so we saw Nehemiah, a true leader. Right? There is conflict. There is uh, confrontation. And now you will see there has to be restitution. Restitution, right? Let's go. We read till words uh, 6 to 10 last time. We will read from words 11 to 19. Yeah? Restore now to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, their olive groves, their houses, also hundreds of the money and grain, the new wine and the oil that you have charged them. So they said, we will restore it and will require nothing from them. We will do as you say. Then I called the priests and required an oath from them that they would according, do according to the promise. You see, why was he able to be forceful? Because one, of course, he had authority from the king. They knew he was. Second, he had an authority that came not only from his office, it came from his life. There are two kinds of authority, like what you see in the U.S., what they say is, do as I say, okay, and not do as I do. You listen to them, all of them. Do as I say. The Kuma is all over the news, no? Yeah, Kulo, Kumo, no? Yeah. Do as I say, but do not do as I do. They're all coming out, you know? The, it's coming out of the woodwork. They will all be exposed. They all will be exposed. If they are not exposed now, anyway, one day of exposure is coming. So the simple thing is go and fall upon the feet of Jesus Christ and let him deal with it. Why did he have that authority? There is an authority that comes from your office, which God gives you. can be anybody, any place. And then there's an authority that comes from your life. Comes from your life. A life that is lived that way. Life that is lived with. And that's where it comes. So, remember, he didn't jump into it. He was very angry. But he waited, he pondered, he reflected, he prayed. Then he took action. We saw the three steps in dealing with issues. That's why looking at it. Because we'll all need it. We'll all need it. Because even in a home you will need it. When a husband and a wife has an issue, the best place to resolve it is in the bedroom. Talk to one. And children don't have to hear it at all. As far as possible. Not as far as possible. Children don't have to know anything. Why do they have to know? Why do, why do, why do mess up their peace? 
They are not part of the problem. You are the problem. Okay? You are the problem. They are not part of the problem. They don't have to hear the shouting and the screaming. I mean, you shouldn't be shouting and screaming. But behind the closed doors, you can have your conversation and resolve it. That is the first. When it cannot be resolved, whether it is going out of hand, you seek help. You seek help from who have been ordained to help you. Don't get on the phone and ask too many people. Too many people. This is my fundamental this thing. I said, if you come to me, don't go to somebody else. Because I am not a second opinion. I'm not a second opinion. I'm not a second opinion. Okay? I'm not a second opinion. If you've already gone to somebody, I don't have anything to say. Because once you have come to me and have told you from scripture, explained to you what is you're going to two and three and four and five, you know what? You're seeking an idol after your own heart. And you will know from one down the line, you will get what you want to hear. And immediately will stand on it and say, I do, I heard. And you know what? It had nothing to do with the person who told you. It's got to do with you. It's got to do with you. You got an idol in your heart. Okay. First go to God. And after that, seek help. Okay, this is how you resolve conflicts in your life, the steps. But the question we asked is that, can we be corrected? The answer is yes, if we have the fear of God. If you do not have the fear of God, you cannot be corrected. You cannot be corrected. Simple as that. It doesn't matter who it is. It could be a beggar on the street or the king on the palace. If both of them have the fear of God, they can be corrected. But if you do not have the fear of God, even the beggar cannot be corrected. He will outwardly listen to what you say. Inwardly, he will not agree with anything or change. He will may change his position from where he is begging to another place, but he will continue begging. So understand why fear of God is important. So, we need truth. Because conflict will be always there. Okay. So when God, Jesus, when Peter says, grow in grace and the knowledge of God, that knowledge of God is truth that sets you free. Truth is the sword that Jesus brought into the world. Matthew 10 verses 34 to 36. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemy shall be those of his own household. What did he say? He says, he begins with the home is a basic unit. Okay, It's the atom. It's the atom. Let us not go into the whole compound. The atom. He says, the atom is broken, the whole compound is will no? He says, I will put, first put a sword through through the family. And when does it happen? Let us say six people in a family, five people in a family. The minute one gets saved, the sword goes through. So sword goes through. First it goes through the same person who got saved. Okay, the first the sword goes through the same person. And after that the sword starts dividing. What is the sword? The sword is truth. The truth. Suddenly you will have a conflict there, no, between truth and religion. Even the atheist becomes religious then. Because atheism cannot handle truth. So you need religion. 
if you are a genuine atheist, he will let you follow whatever you want to. Okay. But most people are false atheists. They are not genuine atheists. They are religious atheists. Atheism is only when it suits them. Basically, they are religious. Okay, why? Because they will quote scripture. That's always my answer to people, no? Like, no. You have to obey your father and mother. I said, who told you? Did the government say that? It's written in the constitution? Who told you? You don't believe in the word of God. You cannot, you cannot selectively believe in the word. That is for me. That is for me. That's not for you. That's not for you. That's for me. That's for me. That's not for you. That's written in my Bible, which you don't read. That's written by, told to be my God, whom in I believe. You don't believe. You don't believe. Who told you? Culture? Culture keeps on changing. Culture has got nothing to do with truth. No? If culture was true, then we should be dressed in animal skins, like Adam was. So don't bring culture here. We have to look at truth. We need to realize that this is how. Who told you? Who told you? How can you selectively use truth? Because either truth, it's complete. It completes, takes over the entire man. So you know what? A person who's battling, not battling, trying to grow in truth will always say, yeah, that is true and I'm struggling. I will not deny what you say is wrong. I'm struggling with but I accept it. It is true. All I ask is for more grace to keep it. But you are right when you speak. You are right when you speak because I cannot deny a truth. But the religious person will use truth selectively. Use selectively. Okay? And Jesus brings this sword, cuts through this sword. Because now I'm using the sword and they are all silenced. They are all silenced. You know why? Because they all had the fear of God. That when did the fear of God comes after they have been crushed under the Babylonian boot for a many, 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 many years, nicely crunched under the Babylonian boot, fear of God has come. When they were living at the kings of Judah and Israel, no fear, nothing at all. They needed a Babylonian boot for the fear of God to come. A Jewish boot did not bring any fear. No. It's like our kids, no? Our kids know every day oh, I don't like this, it doesn't taste good, and then they go abroad. <laughs> I wish food so much. I wish I could have karam, no karam, no salt, no haldi, no man. Okay, now you appreciate? You would have all of them, no? Okay, now you appreciate? Okay. And if you turn towards 10 of Nehemiah 5. Ten. Yeah, words ten. I also, with my brethren and my servants, am lending the money and grain. Please let us stop this usury. Okay? Simple principles. Leader leads by example. Leads by examples. You see, the followers look at the leader. And if a leader has led and motivated his followers by his life and his example. They're willing to die for him. The French, the opposition was so terrified of Napoleon. Twice he was imprisoned. <laughs> Twice he was imprisoned. And he was just a short little man. They call him the little corporal. And the first time when he escaped, 
He escaped and he landed on the beaches of France. The whole army turned over and went back to him. They just turned over. They loved him. They loved him. You know why they're so scared of Trump? You know why they're so scared of him? Because the American army loves him. And the veterans love him. Because they know he's one man who cared for us. That's why the National Guard all around the capital and the National Guard is drawn from blue states and not from the red states because they are petrified. Because they know the men who really matter. But they have been so disciplined to obey orders, they won't do anything. But I'm saying they know they love Trump. Okay, because he can he really can You really can And they're scared of him. <laughs> because the people there don't love any politician except him. And he's not a politician. <coughs> he's not a politician. Okay. When in American history have you heard crowds shouting out, we love you? Imagine a crowd telling Nancy Pelosi, we love you. Or Chuck Schumer, we love you. Adam Schiff, we love you. Or Joe Biden, we love you. Oh, Kamal, any one of them. Nobody's gonna say anything like that. Nobody like that. You know, and this is, this is, he leads by example. Because they know at the end of the day, he left his Trump Tower. I saw a video of Trump Tower. I cannot live there. Ma, everything is gold. Taps are gold. Everything is gold. Gold, 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 gold only. Literally gold apartment he has. He was, I don't know, he was crazy about gold, I think. Or the color of gold. Okay, that's, I think when he changed, even his hair is gold. Okay. I think when he moved to the White House, the drapes were all made gold. He left that and took a one dollar salary and served the people. Okay, and they know the people, one side of the people really, really know that he cares. Even the Republicans, they know he cares that they don't like the Republican leaders because they know most of them are crooks. They just talk the talk. Just talk to talk. You need to realize leadership principles really, really matter. Because leadership is not a title or a position. It is the power of a lifestyle to influence people. It's power. It's words and life. Some people have powerful words like Hitler had powerful words. Many of our leaders are powerful orators. But they don't have a life of simplicity simplicity. Like the founding fathers of the U.S. had simple people. No When they used that term, of the people, by the people, for the people, you know what? They were people who came from the ranks of ordinary common people. So they knew what the people were going through. Today people live in South Block and North Block, live in the capital, away from the people. No, they come once in five years or once in four years. They have no clue what people is going through. And people don't care. People don't care. That's why they have to do all kind of manipulation to win elections. Okay. So if you're too good to serve, you're not good enough to serve in the kingdom. If you think you're too good to serve, you're not good enough to serve in the kingdom. Because the principle he laid is that son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. But to serve. And that's where we have to be very, very careful about am I serving? Am I taking or am I giving? We need to take, otherwise we will die. We have to eat, we have to take. But am I ultimately am I a giver or am I a taker? Am I serving or am I lording? Okay, am I serving? And it all begins in the house. And we have to teach 
our children to serve. And we have to model it by serving. So if you don't model it before them by serving, where they actually see that the father is serving the mother, the mother is serving the father, then you don't have to tell them anything. They automatically will start serving. But if they see a disconnect, then you have to teach them. Today I sent I sent a cute little video of a baby worshipping. You think it came automatically? No, it's yourself. For me, it's not the baby. It's a reflection of the father or the mother. The mother worships or the father worships. And the child is imitating and the spirit of God comes upon the child. And after that, the child is worshipping on its own. Because there's nothing a baby will do on its own. Because when it comes, his mind is blank. It sees and acts. He sees and it acts out. And that's the first five years. It was Socrates or Aristotle to a mother came and said, um, when should I start teaching my child? He said, how old is he? He said, five years. You're already five years late, she said. Already five years late. Okay, so that's where the home comes. That's where the church comes. The church is not just a program. The church is where a family is lived out. And that's what we saw in the book of Acts. That was a church. That was a church. They lived as a family. Okay, so please understand. And verse 11. Restore now. I said that yesterday. Certain decisions cannot be delayed. It is always now. It is always now. Okay, it cannot because this is dealing with a sin in the camp. It is now. They have profited of their own brethren. It is now. See, there are two kinds of account. When it is coming to the decisions you have to take, it has to be called a current account. It's not a savings account where you keep on piling your sins. Current account, zero balance is also okay. That's why it is current. It has to be maintained as a current account, life. <coughs> life is actually full of nows. God will speak. And when we do not do what we have to do now, you will realize is that sometimes we miss the moment. Miss the moment. And that's why he's saying you have to, it's not that you go back and fast seven days. You don't have to fast, but it's very clear, black and white. It's very clear. You shall not do Take interest from your brothers. You lend him freely. And after that year of Jubilee comes, he cannot pay it back. Pay, cancel it. Cancel it. And even when he goes, don't let him ham, empty handed. Give him some more. Give him some more. That's what the Bible says. So you don't have, it has to be decided now. His decisions have to be done. And the result is there in verse 12. It has an immediate result. So they said, we will restore it and will require nothing from them. We will do as you say. Okay, what I say? So there's no second meeting. There's not a series of meeting to negotiate terms of returning. It's immediate. Usually for reconciliation, how many meetings have to take place, right? Nothing. Immediately everybody says, we will do it. Then I call the priest and require an oath from them that they would do according to this promise. So priests were also involved in it. Okay, priests are also businessmen now. Hmm? Okay, and what does the Bible say? They made an oath. They made an oath, meaning your apology is not good enough. 
Apology needs to move to accountability. Move to accountability. They made an oath. Yes, we shall return. You look to verse 13. What happens? Right? Then I shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out each man from his house, from his property, who does not perform this promise. Even thus may be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. And praise the Lord. And then the people did according to the promise. You know what he brings in? He brings the judgment of God, the wrath of God into the picture. All of you agree? All you make a promise? He says, you know what? I'm shaking my clothes in the same way. Everything that's in my pockets, my dust, everything I'm shaking. In the same way, you don't keep the word of the Lord which you have made and sworn before the people. Let God empty you of all that you have. Everything. Hmm? That's the whole thing. Okay? Saul refused accountability. Therefore, he was emptied and his household was emptied. Right. Eli refused accountability. So his whole household was emptied. David accepted accountability. So till today there will be somebody on his throne. And Jesus is called the son of David. So it is not what you did. It is what you are willing to do to change it. Because all are sinners. Every man has sinned. And come short of the glory of God. But the question is will you be accountable? And he brought God into the picture. Not that I will shake you, but God will shake you. The reason, the important, the problem is this. When you're not accountable, then you become a risk to God. If you're not accountable, you become a risk in your company. Doesn't matter how talented you are, you are a risk. You're a risk. Because, you know, we, Pastor Vijay calls them what? Loose electrons. They're loose electrons. And they're always loose. Because nobody will commit anything into their hands. You know why? Because they are dangerous. They're a risk factor. Let me ask about, let's, let's talk about India itself. Most of the misery in a poor country like India is not caused because of the lack of money or poverty alone. It's caused because of the alcoholics in the house, the men who are alcoholics. You know why? Because these guys are unaccountable to nobody. Most of the homes in India have been ruined by men who drink. And all the money goes there. And the wife is miserable, the home is miserable, and it is a sad home. It is not the poverty. And the government is not going to ban alcohol because they make their money out of alcohol. You think when Jesus comes and he rules for a thousand years, all these alcohol shops will be open? There will be not a single shop there. No. Last Saturday we didn't read the question about whether to drink wine or not. I said, That's not the point. God did not create alcohol. Though alcohol is there in almost everything, but what we are doing is destroying. And what happens is, you know what, People who are alcoholics or addicts to anything are not accountable. And when they are not accountable, they become a risk factor. They become a risk factor. And that's what the Bible is talking about. Can you be accountable? And they made an oath. Because ultimately, conflict is inevitable. Because human relationships after the fall, you know what, is full of conflicts. But please need to understand, conflict 
is what will shape our character, how we handle it. Okay, that's what will shape our character. Crisis will define our character. If you look, look at a man called David, and we read in Acts, right? David fulfilled God's purpose in his generation and rested with his fathers. Do you know who are the people who shaped him? One Saul, second Shimei, third Joab, and fourth Michal. None of them were his friends. But how he dealt with his people who were opposed to him made him the man of God. Made him the man of God. They shape you. They shape you. That's what shapes you. You know. So conflicts will lead to crisis. And conflicts and crisis will ultimately define who you are. That's why God allows crisis into our lives. Why he wants to make us a man of God. Like somebody said, you know, first term President Trump was God's man. Next time he comes back, he has to become a man of God. These are two different things. Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, or were all God's men. They were not man, men of God. Okay, men of God. Okay. So there are out there in the world also God's men. And then there are men of God because character is forged in the valleys we saw yesterday, in the valleys of Kerith and Zarephath, in the valley of shadow of death. Why did the shadow of death come? Because of the devil? No, because of people whom the devil uses. Okay, And God says that is, that will bring, that will bring, which we see in verse 13, we are there. After conflict, and you have a godly confrontation, which must lead to a consecration. Yes, we will do. And all the people said, Amen. And they praised God. They praised God. Let's read from verse 14 to 18. Moreover, from the time I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year until the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, Twelve years, neither I nor my brothers ate the governor's provisions. Okay, sometimes this is an aside. Sometimes people don't even realize. Like Artaxerxes is ruling there in Babylon. He's he's on the twelfth year. These are times where other kings come and overthrow nations and all. Artaxerxes does not even realize he is sitting on the throne because Nehemiah has a work to do. A lot of people do not understand why are they sitting in places. You are sitting in places because I need you for him to complete my job. And we are, some of us sometimes, we ourselves do not realize, why am I standing here? Because of others who are praying. Not because of anything you are. If it had left to you and me, I would have finished you a long time ago. Finished you a long time ago. But, because there are a lot of people for whose sake I have kept you alive. I've kept you alive. That's what Paul realized on the road to Damascus. You know why? Oh my Lord. He, he, if I had been left to you, him and me, he would have knocked me out. But he has kept me alive. Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Sometimes we don't even realize why we are alive. Okay? Let's read further. Okay? We never took, nor my, from the governor's provision. 
But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people, took from them bread and wine, besides forty shekels of silver. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. See, they taxed the people, they took everything from the people, opal and nobody could question because you are from Babylon. The king has appointed you. And the servants are also like their masters. But Nehemiah suffered a different mold. And so were his servants. So were his servants. When God said, you shall command your household, it meant all the servants of Abraham. Eliezer wouldn't even think, blink, think about touching anything that belongs to Abraham. He wants Abraham to prosper. And he wants Isaac to get married. He wants Isaac to have children. And you know what? The servant of Lot who escaped captivity, when he, only one fellow escaped, he immediately knew, run to Abraham, because he had lived in that household. He ran back to Abraham's household because he knew the heart of Abraham, that this man would come to rescue his nephew. Okay. Nehemiah's household, his servants, looked at him and said, if he is so, I am so. That's what. Well, the other governors were, Harsh and taking from the people, so did their servants. They ruled over them. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. And that was his problem, Jesus' problem with disciples. What kind of people are you? He says, he said, shall we bring on fire? Shall What's wrong with you dudes? You've been walking with me and you haven't seen? I've been casting out demons, you're casting out people. <laughs> See, they were, they didn't get it. They didn't get it. Can we sit on the right hand? We could sit on the left hand. Jesus looking at them. You still haven't understood. I am one from eternity to eternity who sits on the right hand of the Father. And I left it to walk among you, work among you, to live among you. You still haven't got it. Right? They were like, they were like him. Verse 16. Indeed, I also continued the work on this wall and did not buy any land. All my servants were gathered there for work. How beautiful it is, right? He says, I continued the work on this wall and did not buy any land. He says, you know what? He did not immediately, he said, good time. Okay, because you see, when you're building the wall, real estate prices goes up. Right? Now, Hyderabad is the city in the world. In, in India. Real estate is more expensive than even Mumbai now. Because this is the happening city. And you know what happens? Everything goes up. And if you have money, if you have money, people will buy and keep it and sell it at a profit. He has got money. Nehemiah has got money. But he said, I have not come here for business. I have not come here for business. I have come here on mission. This is mission. This is not business. Okay. I can understand buying land to build, but he knows he has to go back. He's not going to live here. He set a time before the king. He has to go back. Okay. And uh, so he's not going to buy here. But a lot of people are businessmen. Pastors, honestly, many of them are businessmen. He did not buy. Now, I tell this to pastors. I said, uh, pastor, uh, I want to build a house and I want to build a church. When I go mission grounds, I said, did God tell you? Uh, no, but I said, let me tell you, brother, one thing. First, ask God. The problem with you is that you will build a house, then you build a church. 
After that, God can never expand you. You know, you already decided your your boundaries. And even God comes to you in a dream and tells you, leave, you will not go because you have set your roots in. That's why Abraham, Isaac and Jacob lived in tents. Because they could always pack up and keep moving. I'm not saying you should not have a house, but you should after God has spoken to you. This is where you need to put your roots. This is the place. This is the place where you need to settle down. I am telling you. Okay, These are principles. I'm not saying that you buy a house, you cannot sell it later. But I'm talking about principles that your heart is always ready. Lord, you tell me to move. I will move. Okay, And at my table, yeah, yeah, at my table were 150 Jews and rulers besides those who came to us from the nations around us, around us. Yeah, verse 18. Now that which was prepared daily was one ox, six choice sheep, also fowl, chicken also was there, were prepared for me and once every ten days an abundance of all kinds of wine. Yet in spite of this, I did not demand the governor's provisions because the bondage was heavy on this people. You could have asked. First Corinthians 6 and verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. This is, a, this is, this is not the law of Moses. This is truth that sets you free. When God sets you, see, God freed us from the penalty of sin and set us free. You can still sin. You can still sin. He doesn't stop you. But that is freedom. Otherwise I'm not free. I'm free. I am saved. After that, I am a Robert from Pastor Vijay's lab. I can no longer sin. God says, where's the freedom? Now I want you to choose. That is liberty. I want you to choose. All things are lawful. All things are lawful. First Corinthians 10.23 10.23 All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, not all things edify. That's the key. Edify means to strengthen, not just yourself, somebody else. Or somebody else. It's a simple principle. How does it help my brother? This is the question the first man refused to answer, Cain, outside the garden. Am I my brother's keeper? And every true leader in the kingdom of God accepts before God, am I my brother's keeper? If I do something, is there any law against it? Like people will ask, where is it written in the Bible you cannot drink wine? I said, it's not written. But the question is, how does it help my brother? Where is it written you cannot see movies? I said, it's not written. <laughs> I go stand in a line to watch a movie. How does it help my brother? Think about, think about of all people be. Think about me standing in the line at a movie. <laughs> Maybe I'm standing in the line to see Passion of Christ. But that fellow is not looking at the movie, he's looking at me. And he goes and sees an X-rated movie because Pastor sees movies. Okay. That's why for Passion of Christ also I did not go to a theater. We are not saying, is there anything wrong? People will ask, is there any wrong? It's a simple question. This is a question of love. How does it edify my brother or sister? 
How does it, brother? This is a simple thing. I said, no, mom, no, no. Sisters come and ask, why can't I wear this? What is there any law against it? I said, does it help your sister? And does it help your brother? <laughs> okay. When, yeah. When sis, I, I, see, in my church, we have been taught, when I go to mission grounds, I have to tell them. I'm telling them, first I'm telling, you know why I keep my hair gray? So you see, my everything is black. If I dye my hair, it is no, it won't look odd because it's all black. But you know, I keep my hair because when I look at you, you should look at me as your father or grandfather. So when I talk to you, you should not get offended. Offended. You should not get offended. And I said, you know what? Because I've been in ministry for 26 years and we all are men and we know our personal struggles and we have heard the struggles of young people. And I will tell you, you know, our young men, Face enough temptation in the world. Can you give them some liberty in the church? Can you give them some liberty in the church to worship? I said, I've told, I said, I can verbatim quote things young people have told me. They told me, Pastor, we are not even able to worship because some of the sisters who stand in the front, they are worshipping, but when they worship, their jeans are tight, the top is to show, we can see their undergarments. And we are struggling in the church, not in the world. In the church. In the church. You know. And the devil will always push it across as fashion. As fashion. Even with my own kids, I mean, I don't say anything. I'll just tell my wife to tell them, no, did you get your trousers, your jeans from the Salvation Army? Because everybody wears torn jeans. Ask my wife, I tell her, did you get it from the Salvation Army? And I see worship, people in the worship team in church, on YouTube and all, on worship team, all girls with torn jeans and all. I mean, why are you exposing your skin? Why are you exposing your skin on the altar? How is it helping? How is it edifying? Is there any law? No. No. But are we supposed to live by the law? No. Our standard is much, much, much higher. In India, of course, it's a different story altogether because we have this great uh, six-meter cloth called the sari. It can be the most conservative garment and the most lustful garment. It depends upon you wear it. It's upon you wear it. And then you have this churidar, just okay, all these years until recently when these tight things started coming in. You know, a tight thing they all wear now. And thing is cut, slit is cut till here. And they sit on the bike. I'm not talking about the world. I'm not talking about the world. I have nothing to do with the world. I'm talking about the church. Because the Bible says to the elder sisters in the church to teach the younger ones, what are you teaching? What are you teaching? What are you teaching? Okay, when you look at these, look at these, you know, when you look at these, we are not, we have got nothing to tell the world. The world only one message, repent for the kingdom of God is here. But to the church we have to tell you, there is no law against it. But remember, one day it will cost you. When? When your rewards are being counted. Your rewards. He said, I gave you liberty, but you did not use your liberty to edify. Nehemiah is the governor appointed by Babylon, and he has the authority 
and the liberty to tax the people and live an opulent life. But you know what happens? He refuses. He refuses. And second thing, you know what he does? He's spending his own money to take care of the people. And yet his table is full. He's spending his own money for that too. That too. Does he have the liberty? Yes. Does he have the liberty? Yes. Will he use his liberty? He says, I will use my liberty to edify others. You know what? He had an impact because he lived like that. When he stood up and said, how can you do stuff like that? They always silenced. Yes, we will give it back. They will give it back. Yes, we will give back. We will make a restitution. Because there was the power of a life lived before God behind those words. Behind those words. And that's what God is talking about. That is what God is talking about. That's what Paul was telling Timothy. If a man cleanses himself, he will become a vessel of honor in the hands of God. Okay, in the hands of God. Second hmm? Corinthians thirteen ten. Why is this important? Because these principles keep coming back over and over in the Bible. I write these things being absent, less being present. I should use sharpness according to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification and not destruction. Edification. Authority. If I have authority as a servant of God, as a pastor, so what about the people use titles now? If his title gives you authority, and the question I have to ask is, have I used that authority for edification or destruction? What do I use that authority for? To edify people? And that's not talking about, I can edify people from behind the pulpit with my words. Because the word of God edifies. But then there is something else. What I eat, what I drink, what I wear, how I walk, what I watch, what I listen to, what I read. What I read. Everybody knows I read. Everybody knows I read. And if they come to my house and see all, oh, Harold Robbins, James Harley Chase. Huh? This is what you read? <laughs> Think about it. I mean, this is what I read when I was young, before I was a believer. <laughs> right? You see how it impacts people? How it impacts people? You know? That's what the Bible is. What has God given? And Hama is an incredible, incredible leader. You need to understand these principles are throughout in the New Covenant. Let's look at one more. Romans 15 and verse 1 and 2. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good leading to edification. That is basically dying to yourself. Dying to yourself. My wife is honest. She used to struggle for many years. Get rid of those clothes. You don't need that. Get rid of it. Don't wear it. Just get rid of it. We have been called to model. Model. You should be complimenting my ministry and not be an obstruction. You should not be an obstruction. Because men look at me. Women look at you. Look at you. And we are together in this. You know, Get rid of those things. That's not matter anymore. Those things don't matter. Eternally, do you think the things we are holding on to really matter? Does it make any difference eternally? 
Anybody is talking about, when you are standing in the presence of God, you are going to talk about the clothes you had, the possessions you had, the stuff you had. None of these things will matter. The only things will matter, did I please God? Did I edify my brother or sister? The only things that will matter. And these things matter. And Nehemiah lived a life there. No, And God is not taking your liberty away. He says, I, I gave you liberty. Now I want you to use your liberty in righteousness to edify. That's what Peter is telling Ananias and Sapphira. The land was yours before it was sold. After it sold, also the money was yours. You had the liberty. Did you have to do this? Even if you hadn't brought anything, God was okay with it. Okay with it. You had the liberty. <laughs> Did God force you to give? No. But you should not have done this by saying we are giving it all by keeping a portion at home. You know what you are doing? You are deceiving God and you are deceiving people. That is not, that is not right. That is not right. No, that is not right. That's where the issue came in. So the question is, why did you do it? Why did you do it? Let's go back. Nehemiah 5. Yeah. Okay. Yet in spite of this, I did not demand. Let's, let's go to 17 also. Okay. There was another, another verse over there. Which I don't want to miss. Because these are important. Because the more we get this. Yeah, verse 15, verse 15, verse 15. Verse 15. You cannot, cannot miss that. Otherwise we miss. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on people and took from them bread. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people. But I did not do so. Why? Fear of God. I did not do so. Because he revered God. He had the liberty. He had the liberty. And I will put because of reverence. He had the liberty. But I did not do so. A lot of things which you do not know. Because you know what? We rever God. Out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Reverence of God. It's as simple as that. That's a very simple thing. Why don't we do a lot of things? We have the liberty. Nobody is going to stop you. Nobody is going to stop any one of us from doing what we want to do. But we don't do a lot of things because the reverence of God, because we fear God. Okay. Twelve years he was there. He did not invest in property. He invested in people. We had the same choice. Twelve years. Nehemiah was there. Twelve years. We have been in Hyderabad. This is the thirteenth year. We had a choice. Invest in people or invest in property. Because we invested in people, we don't have property. We don't own anything in Hyderabad. Own nothing in Hyderabad. But because we are invested in people, we believe one day, God will give us what we need. A day and hour will come. He will give us what we need. Okay. We always have this choice. Do you want to invest in property or do you want to invest in people? You know, my father had... When he died, we just had a small plot of land and he died before he completed the house. He had land. But you know what he invested in? He invested in his five children. He had a choice. He had a choice. Either buy property, build houses or invest in his children. 
there were two salaried people, my dad and mom, with a limited amount of salary. Because once your children are all studying, you cannot negotiate careers. It's not like today. Those days, you cannot play with careers. There is a time God has given you to juggle with careers. But once your children are growing and they are studying, you don't have that autonomy because fees have to be paid. And we are five people in boarding. Five people. Okay. One in, in, two in medicine, doing medicine. One in the engineering college, me in Marivanios and the sister in All Saints. Five. Okay. So he had a choice. You know what he did? He sold his land. He sold his land. What did he invest? He invested in people. Invested in people. No, it's a simple principle he could have. No, if he had not invested in us, he could have had property. But what are you going to do with property? You know, he gave us something. He was in the world which is powerful. He gave us the power of a good education. Power of a good education. Okay, so. Churches also need to realize, it's not that we don't need buildings and all, but we need to realize, ultimately, you are investing in people. And if your building is not an investment in the people, it is an investment in your ego. It's your ego. It's your name, your reputation. Are you investing in people or not? As we close before we go to prayer, verse 19, the last verse. Remember me, O God, for good, according to all that have done for these people. Ultimately, why do we do the things we do? To please God. Zach Bunani, if I'm right, has preached a sermon on gaining the approval of God. Ultimately, everything that we do is to gain the approval of God. You don't have to do one thing, one thing to gain the love of God. I tell my children too, you don't have to do one thing to gain my love. I will love you to the very end, whether you obey me or not. But to gain my approval, you will have to do a lot of things. I never struggle with the love of God. Never. It's already been decided, set. But what am I struggling for? For his approval. On that day, you need to be approved of God. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Lord, do you love me? Nonsense. Have you looked at the cross lately? (laughs) Lord, do you care for me? What do you mean care for you? Of course. Do you think about me? The thoughts that I have cannot be even counted. Lord, do you approve of me? Wait a second there. Wait a second there. What did you use your liberty for? Did you use it to please me? There's only one play, one way and one way alone I can go in God's approval. It is a life of faith. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from God's word. So in gaining God's approval, there are attachments and there are detachments. And you know what Nehemiah did? He detached himself. So why was Nehemiah able to do this? Very simple. Lifestyle. Simple lifestyle. No abuse or misuse of power. Privilege or money. So when he lay down to sleep, that's my closing line. When he lay down to sleep each night, he could say, Lord, remember what I have done for these people. 
it could say, Lord, you know what I have done for this people. People may know, they may not know. How much they know, we do not. You see, the people of Israel who came out of Egypt had no clue what Moses had done for them. We know. They didn't know. It's written in scripture. The eight things Moses did. Eight unbelievable decisions he did for them. And it was all loss for him. Gain for them. Gain for them. So people may not know. People may not. Most of the time people do not even know. But God says, He's telling God, you know what, Lord, do you know? Do you know? You know? To all my children who are listening over there, my pastor in China, my sister in Guyana, Adriana, I know you are. You are hurting. And my child in Hannah, all of you. You know, Brad, Mike, Cherian, Sharon, all of you. When you lay down to sleep, say what Nehemiah said. Remember me, O God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. Because GDC worldwide is framed by men and women who have laid their lives on the altar for God. They have kept nothing back. And you know what? God has kept nothing back from them. Nothing back from them. Nothing back from them. Yesterday was a very, very tight day. We have gone through so many days like that. But you know what? God has been there through it all. Through it all, God has been there. Through it all, God has been there. And you know what? To every one of them I have said, you can proudly with Nehemiah say, remember me, my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. Done for this people. His people. God's people. What are you doing? What are we doing? We are serving God's people. And that's where we stand. Come, honey, let's pray. Let's encourage our children around the world. The children God has, God has given us. We, maybe we may not see most of them in this life, but one day we shall stand together as the GTC congregation in heaven. Oh, it will be from every nation, every tribe, every language. How many millions will be there? We'll stand together as a community from countries around the world. So many ten thousands dead and gone, but they all died for the right king and the right cause. And still going through persecution, trial, beatings, rape, death. Some of our pastors were crucified in the Middle East. They hung there without recanting, praising God till their last breath and they died. We just thank God for every one of them. And we remember them, and God remembers them for good. All they did was to please God and to serve his people. That's what ministry is. Please God and serve and edify his people. Let's pray. Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. We just want to thank you. We just want to praise you. We just want to worship you, Lord. It's our privilege, our honor, Lord, to serve you. For what you did for us, we can never, never repay. Because even if we die as martyrs, our death can never compare to your death. Our death does not save any man from his sin. It cannot. What you did for us, the life you lived on earth, fighting every temptation, every moment of the day for us, not for yourself, you did it for us. 
so that you could be that spotless lamb for God. The death you died on the cross, you died for us. The life you live now, forever making intercession, you live for us. We can never, ever live or compare our lives to yours. All we can say is thank you, Lord Jesus, for this privilege, this honor to serve you and to serve your people. And I thank you for every brother, every sister who have laid down their lives these past 10 years, 11 years, and who are living each day in the shadow of death for thy name's sake and to serve your people. The people who were thrown out of their own homes, the HIV children, in their hundreds, in their thousands were thrown out. And they have taken them. They care for them. The poor, the destitute, the HIV children, the prostitutes, the drug addicts, whom nobody wanted but you loved. And your servants have taken them under their fold, under great trial. They have faced death. They have seen their own family members die before their eyes. But they have stood there and taken care. I just want to thank you this hour for every one of them, Lord. Every one of them. And I thank you that you always came through for us. Death is not the end for us. It's victory for us. Even in their pain, I know, Lord, you are there with them. There's so many today in the ICU. I pray, Lord, that you would reach out and touch them. Some died between today and yesterday. Many died. But I pray, Lord, the hand of God would reach out and touch them and comfort them. The sisters, the girls, young children, Lord. Teenage girls, Lord. Oh, Father, that you would touch them. You would heal them. Comfort them. You are there, Lord. Beside them in the ICU. Comfort them. Comfort them in Guyana. Comfort them in Egypt. Comfort them. China. Comfort them. U.S. Comfort them. All the places they attacked. Comfort them. I speak comfort. I speak healing in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Touch, Lord. Touch. Strengthen the survivors. Strengthen them. Let them not buckle under pressure. We emerge stronger through our trials. We come out stronger at the end of it. Because we experience God in the valley. Like we never experienced Him on the mountaintops. It is there we experience the power of your rod. The strength of your staff. It is there we see that you are spreading a table in the presence of our enemies. The anointing we receive in the valley is nothing like the power we experience on the mountain. It's in the valley that the cup overflows. Then only we can come out and be a blessing to others. The mountaintop is for a minute. But the lessons of the valley is for a lifetime. Help us to see as you see. And believe and walk, O oh Lord. And I speak for everyone who is hurting. They may not have gone through what our other churches went through in the last 24, 48 hours. But they have their own personal crisis in their homes, in their marriages, 
with their children in their offices. And you are with them through it all. For it matters. For you are a father. For the crisis of the eldest one in the office or the smallest one who tumbled and fell, the attention is you give to both. You are a father. And you are with everyone. And I pray, Father, today, everyone who is listening would reach out and touch you by faith. For you are there right beside us. Because we are standing on your promise, not our feelings. The promise, your word is the truth. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And I will be with you till the very end. And you are there. There's so many people who are listening, who are angry. Touch them, Lord. Touch them. They're angry for the wrong reasons. They're not angry like Nehemiah because of injustice. Of children being trafficked. Women being raped and sold in the market like cattle. For drugs pouring through into nations to destroy a generation because of evil men and women who only look at profit. Wicked rulers who rule over the earth and oppress the poor. We are not angry for them. Wrong reasons. Right reasons. We are angry because our self was touched. Our pride was hurt. I pray you touch those people. Wherever they are sitting, touch them. Because they want honor from men. They want to be served and not to serve. Touch them, Lord. Touch them. Deliver them from that anger. That is the anger of Cain. That's not the anger of God. The anger of Cain will always lead to the murder of the innocent and the weak and the helpless. Deliver people from that anger. Deliver people from bitterness. They have everything. So many people. Everything that life requires. But they are bitter. They have comfort. They have no lack. They are houses. They are food. They have every comfort that life requires. But they are bitter. That is not of God. That is devil. They do not understand why they, though they listen to the word and read the word, they miss the grace of God. Because deep inside the root of bitterness. Pray, Father, that you would deliver them, Lord. Deliver them, Lord. Deliver them, Lord. Deliver people. Deliver those who are afflicted in their body. Heal them, Lord. Those afflicted in their mind. Oh, Father. Demon possession is on a high these days. Deliver. Deliver, Lord. Deliver. For you came to set the captives free. The devil comes to take captives. You come to release captives. We have to ask ourselves on which side we are. Are we delivering people or making people even more captive? Oh Father, anoint us Lord. Anoint us Lord today even more to set captives free. Let the anointing flow as your servant prays, Lord. Let the anointing flow, Father. Let our words be anointed by your Spirit. Let our hands be anointed by your Spirit. That when we lay hands upon the sick, they shall be healed. That when we command, demons will leave. And wherever we walk, 
deliverance will come. Anoint us, Lord. Everyone. For we are the body of Christ. We are your hands and your feet. We are your hands and your feet. Anoint us, Lord. Anoint.